hey, good morning, church. My name is Tyler. Uh, I am the family pastor here at Edinburgh Church, and uh, I'm just super excited to be here. If you're a guest, uh, welcome. We're glad that you guys are here. And if you are watching online, just want to say thank you for uh, tuning in and being here. I love, I love being a part of a church uh, that fights for family, that says, hey, we're going to, uh, we understand that, that the life of faith of our kids is won and lost in the home. And how we, we raise them, how we, how we point them to Jesus in everything that we do. And I'm honored and I love partnering with parents and finding ways to equip and to, uh, to say, hey, let's pray blessing over our kids. So, man, I'm so proud of you parents of just uh, your willingness to say, like, no matter what, we're going to show our kids Jesus. Uh, and that's our heartbeat as a church. That's our heartbeat is to show everyone, to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I love, I love being a part of that. Uh, this morning, we're in between sermon series. Uh, and so uh, I just want to encourage you to, uh, next week, next week we're going to be starting uh, our Christmas sermon series uh, to be a part of that. So I'm excited to see what God is going to do through that. Pastor Levi is already figuring out Christmas songs. And um, we're actually planning our Christmas Eve service that's going to incorporate the whole family. And I'm super excited just about what God is going to do. So be in prayer for that. Uh, be excited about that. Uh, I'm just, I'm really excited for the Christmas season. And if you're sitting in this room and you're like, hey, it's not even Thanksgiving yet, uh, to that I say, bah humbug, okay, to you. Uh, but we're so excited about it, so come be a part of it. Uh, Pastor Brent asked me to preach uh, a message uh, just on what God has kind of laid on my heart. And full disclosure, uh, this is a message that I have uh, in, in some forms preached before, uh, which means that God is still working on my heart in this. And uh, as a matter of fact, we just uh, did this sermon, uh, a similar message uh, to the high schoolers on Wednesday night. And uh, so if it sounds familiar, it's because it is. So there you go. Uh, I've entitled this message, uh, The King of My Heart. The King of My Heart. Uh, I remember growing up in church and I loved hearing the Bible stories. The stories of when God's people were in trouble and they're in a situation that seemed impossible. God stepped in and he did the impossible. Whether it's the parting of the Red Sea, David slaying the giant, God making the sun stand still, causing the walls of Jericho to fall down from trumpets and yelling, healing of the blind, curing of leprosy, bringing people back from the dead. We have a God who does the impossible. Amen? We have a God who does the impossible. And as Christians, as believers, we are called to put our faith in a God who can do the impossible. We say, God, I believe when it's, there seems to be no way, you can make a way. And we put our faith and our trust in a God to do the impossible. And one of the ways, one of the greatest ways that we see God do the impossible is in our salvation, in saving us. As, as humans, I think one of the most dangerous, dangerous lies that we believe, uh, we can believe in the American church, is that I can earn my own salvation. I can earn my own salvation, or actually more accurately, I think some, there's many people out there that are thinking, I, why do I need saving? I'm basically a good person. I'm, in general, I do more good than I do bad, and that should count for something. But, but did you know how Jesus actually in the Bible says that it is impossible it is impossible to save yourself. We're like, oh, this is an uplifting message. Matthew 19, verse 16, it says this. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? A question that I believe many of us are asking. Many people in our world are asking, what's next? 
What's beyond this life? Why ask me what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. So this guy comes and he's like, Jesus, I want to know how to to receive eternal life. I want to know how to be saved. And this is the question that is burning in all of us deep down, whether we're asking it out verbally or we're asking it deep in our souls. What's next? What is after this life? How do I receive eternal life? Is this all that there is or is there more afterwards? He's asking, how do I receive eternal life in God? And so Jesus goes on and, and he responds, keep the commandments. He says, here, listen. If you want to, want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Live rightly. And then it goes on. The guy says this in verse 18. Which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. The guy's like, man, I, I want clarity. I want to make sure that I am doing this right. And he responds in verse 20. I have obeyed all of these commandments. The young man replied, what else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? Then Jesus looked at them intently and he said this. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God... Everything is possible. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The guy's like, hey, I've lived the good life. And Jesus says, okay, then sell all of your things and come follow me. But he couldn't do that because he had a lot of money. And the disciples are like, oh, crud. That's the Tyler version. Oh, how, how can any of us possibly ever earn eternal life? And Jesus looks at them and he says, it's impossible. And thank goodness he didn't stop there. It's impossible for you, but with God, all things are possible. This is the good news of the gospel, that it is impossible for us to earn eternal life. But God made a way. God made a way. Listen, you and I, we were created to be in relationship with God. You were created to be in communion with the creator. That is what you were designed for. Anything apart from that feels incomplete. We wonder so often why we go, we're living in a world where people just seem to be just kind of floating around and not really knowing what's going on or or they don't know who they are or they don't know what they're supposed to do. And oftentimes I look at it and I go, man, it's because we're walking around incomplete. Because you and I, us, we were created to be in relationship with our creator. But we had a problem, and that problem is sin, and sin separates us from God. Adam and Eve in the garden, they took the fruit and they ate the fruit, not because God is anti-fruit, but because God, because God is saying, are you obeying? Are you obeying me? Are you following me? And they said, hey, we're gonna do things our own way. Forget you, God, I'm gonna do things my own way. And that separation, that sin of saying, God, forget you, I'm going to do it my own way, it leads to death. That, that separation from God leads to the reason why we have bad things in this world, why we go through the, the, the wars and famine and sickness and all of these things is a direct correlation because sin entered into the world because we said we're going to do things our own way. 
And the only way that we could be saved, the only way that we could receive eternal life is by living a perfect, holy life. But the problem is it's impossible for us to live a holy, perfect life. Life And so God came down in the form of a man named Jesus and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross in our place. The punishment that was meant for you, the punishment that was meant for me, Jesus took it on the cross and he went and he died in our place, taking our sins. And he died on the cross and he rose again, defeating death so that we can be in relationship with him. That is the gospel. That is what we're about as a church. That is unwavering what we're always going to be about as a church, no matter what, as the, the tides of culture change and everything like that, we are going to be about the gospel. Amen? Preaching the gospel, living out the gospel, letting people know the gospel. The gospel is this, that we put our faith in him, in what he did. And then and only then do we have eternal life because on our own it's impossible, but because of Jesus, eternal life is possible. And if you've never heard this before, if you've never heard this before, the good news is that eternal life is for you, and it starts now. It isn't something that we, we, we we're waiting for. It starts now when we say, Jesus, I want you to be the king of my heart. I want you to be the leader of my life. And we receive the free gift from God through faith in Jesus when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus to do the impossible. That is the greatest example of salvation, the greatest example of God doing the impossible that we could ever possibly find in all throughout scripture the bible talks about it's the great mystery now revealed all of the stories all of the miracles all of the things through the old testament point to jesus to the 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 gratitas moment the big moment i don't know if i use that word right it just sounded good but like the big moment in all of scripture is at the gospel that is the point that is the moment and that's what we focus on but maybe you're reading this passage and you're like okay i'm a little confused Right? Because it's talking about how Jesus is like, does it seem like Jesus doesn't like rich people? Like, is he anti-rich people? And I think there's actually, a lot of times people try to take this passage to say, like, see, it's wrong to be rich or it's bad to be rich. And I, but here's the thing, I don't think that's what Jesus is actually saying here. Jesus is looking at the young man and he's asking them, hey, are you willing to give up everything? The thing that you love, the thing that you hold most dear to you, the thing that brings you the comfort or, or whatever it is where you think you can find life, are you willing to lay it down for me, are you willing to surrender? Because I think oftentimes we love the messaging of putting our, our faith in Jesus for salvation. We love making Jesus our savior, right? I love the fact that I can put all my sins on Jesus, all the consequences of my rebellion. And he says, I will take that, I will forgive you, and you can walk in freedom. We love that. And then, but oftentimes in church today, I think it leads us to this place of thinking, if I, just, if I just pray a prayer, if I just go to church, if I just try to do more good than bad, then if I not do this sin or do, don't do that sin, like we just sit here and think like that, that's what we're called to do. It's like he's just going to take our sins and then we just kind of like do our life as, as we please. And I can't help but think that if that's actually our modern day version of just simply keeping the commandments, like Jesus is talking to this man, and we miss the sell everything and follow me. Church, have we really counted the cost of what it means to put our faith in God? Because faith in God is more than just believing that he can do something. It's acting upon it. It's saying, like, like I'm going to give up control. I'm going to give up control. Oftentimes we think the opposite of, of faith uh, is doubt. But what if the opposite of faith is actually more like control? Of being unwilling to say, Jesus, you get everything. 
putting our faith in God to do the impossible is total surrender to Jesus as Lord. Saying, thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior, and now I'm going to live with you as my Lord. We oftentimes forget that aspect of the gospel. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be the leader of my life. It's saying I'm giving up my ways in the way that I do things and I'm choosing yours. The reason the rich man went away sad is he was unwilling to surrender and lay it all at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, you get everything. And my fear is that's where many of us are actually sitting at in our faith. We, we love the idea of saying, Jesus, I want you to be the, the, the savior of my life because I can't deal with my sin and my brokenness. And he comes in and he says, I will be your savior. I'm gonna be your savior. And then we don't actually make him the Lord of our life, the leader of our life. We say, Jesus, I'm just going to sprinkle you here, and God, I'll give you my, my, my sin, but I'm not going to give you my comfort. I'm not going to give you that because I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want that. And I wonder how much of us are growing frustrated in our faith, frustrated in our Christianity, because we feel like we're not fulfilling or experiencing the fullness of God. But this is what God is working on in my heart. Because I've been there. Oftentimes, more often than I care to admit. I've been there. But I truly believe that true intimacy with God, meaningful, transformational, life-altering relationship with God is not found in simply just keeping the commandments. Is it important to live rightly? Absolutely it's important. But it's more than that. It's coming in. like That's just religion. Just keeping the commandments. Just doing the status quo so I can kind of just keep my, 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 my status looking okay. That's just that's religion. But it's only found. Only the, that life, that transformational, life-altering experience is only found when we give up control. When we surrender to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are the king of my heart. You get everything. And if we really want to take hold and grasp that eternal life that God has for us, we have to be willing to let go of the things that are holding us back. Is there a cost to following Jesus? Yes. Is there there a cost to deeper intimacy with God? Yes. Is there a cost to making him the king of my heart? Yes. Here's the cost. I can't be the king of my heart anymore. I'm laying it down at his feet. Are we willing to say, man, I, I want to experience you, God, I, I, and I'm going I'm to let go of these things so that you can live and you can lead in my life. Jesus is not interested in dual government of our life. Let me say that again. Jesus is not interested in the dual government of our life. This is what Jesus is getting at when he's saying it's very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God because he's still holding on to everything, unwilling to let go. Having stuff is not the issue. Having an unwillingness to surrender those things to Jesus, that is the issue. Are we willing to lay it out Jesus' feet and saying, Jesus, you are the king of my life. Maybe there are things in our lives that we're unwilling to surrender, those things that are holding us back from truly experiencing God. I don't know what that is for you. For this guy, it was money and his stuff. For me, it's comfort of needing to know what's next. Some call that being a control freak. That's what I call myself, but... Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an ideology. I don't know what that is, but I trust that the Holy Spirit is working. This is how God works as he brings those things to mind. I don't have to like, give you an example and be like, oh, that's right. I forgot I struggled with that. 
The Holy Spirit is bringing it there, not to shame you, not to bring you dishonor or anything like that, but to point it out and say, this is what I'm working on in you. And he chisels away. He begins to chisel away at our heart of those things that are holding us back from following him. And let me ask you this question. If he isn't doing that, do you want him to? Do you want him to point out those things? Maybe the next step this morning is praying the prayer that David prayed in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. It says this, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me, anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. God, would you reveal to us, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us the things that are holding us back from following you? And listen, I would, be, I would be not doing my job if I stood up here and preached this message and didn't think that Jesus actually had something better for us, that he didn't have something that he wanted to offer us that is better than anything this world has to offer. I believe that when we make Jesus the king of our hearts, when we, re- we receive far more than we could ever imagine. That we receive that. And I'm not necessarily talking materialistically, okay? I actually, you guys ever do that fantasy where you're like, man, if I win the lottery, what's the lottery at? Like $2 billion or something like that? Or, I don't know, somebody won it or whatever. Do you ever do that thing where you're like, if I won the lottery, this is how I'd spend the money? Anybody? No, just the pastor. Cool, okay. <laughs> I'm not talking necessarily just materialistically, right? Because I believe that, that actually, like, if God made me rich, like, sometimes I pray, like, like, God, please don't make me rich because I know that it would cause me to lean on my own understanding, to lean on my own abilities, to lean on my own comforts and my own money. I'm not talking necessarily materialistically. What I am talking, though, is, like, when we say, Jesus, I want you to be the leader of my life, we have a good God. We have a loving Father. We have a God who has our good in mind. He wants what's best for us. And he's not asking us, he's not looking at us and saying, hey, surrender everything for me and then go live a miserable life. That is not what he's saying. He's saying, if, you're, if you make me the king of your heart, we are given life, real life, one that, is, that is, satisfies our soul, that fulfills us, that gives us those things that we're longing for, the things that we're missing, one that gives us purpose and meaning, and we are blessed supernaturally beyond what we could ever imagine. The question is, are we willing to put our faith and our trust in that? Are we willing to say, God, I believe you have what's best for me, even though it doesn't make sense, even though it seems impossible, even though I don't understand, am I willing to make you the king of my heart. You go on in that passage in 20, uh, verse 27. Peter says to Jesus, he says this. Then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has given up house or brother or sister or father or mother or children or property for my name's sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Jesus is saying, listen, I have a reward for you that is far greater than anything this world has to offer. Any comforts that this world has to offer, anything that this world wants to give you, I have something a hundred times better. And church, what would it look like if we believed that? If we lived that out, if we allowed that to shape how we live our life? What would our churches look like? 
What would our homes look like as we pray over our children? What would our families look like? What would our jobs look like? What would the world look like if we were like, Jesus, you are the king of my heart, and I actually lived that way? We could love people. We could love people without worrying about, like, do we agree with them? Or we could love people without worrying what we're going to get back. We could face difficult moments in our life, the difficulties in this life with a holy confidence to say, I don't understand it. I don't get it. But Jesus is the king of my heart, so I know that I'm going to be okay. We could share what God is doing in our life everywhere we go with anyone. It changes how we live our life when we say, Jesus, you are going to be the king of my heart. One of the cool things that's been happening in our, in our student ministries with the high schoolers is uh, we've actually been having students share testimonies. We were at Chick-fil-A uh, just hanging out after youth group one night, and a student came up to me and was like, hey, I, I really feel like I need to share my story. And so he shared his story of what God has doing, was doing in his life. And it set off this ripple effect of where almost every single week we've been having high schoolers get up and share what God is doing in their life to the point where I'm like, maybe I just don't need to preach on Wednesdays anymore and just let students share what God is doing in their hearts. And this last Wednesday, we had one of our 10th graders, Lillian, who's actually playing the piano here tonight. Uh, she got up and she shared something that really stuck out to me and really, really encouraged me as she was sharing her story of how she walked through and trying to figure out identity. She said, I know who I am now because of Jesus. I know my identity in Christ. And because of that, she said it freed her up to do things for Jesus that she never imagined that she could possibly do. But it all started by giving up control and saying yes to Jesus. She actually had been wanting to share her testimony for a while, but she was kind of ignoring it. And she sent me a text uh, and was like, hey, I feel like, uh, like I, I, I've been... Uh, like, God has been calling me to share my story, uh, but I've been ignoring it, but I think I need to do it. And I, my response back was just bet. Like, let's go. And through that, God is moving in our youth group, moving in our high school. As students are saying, I'm going to give up control. I'm going to make Jesus the king of my heart. And I know this to be true in my own life. I know that we might be sitting here listening to this message and we walked into this building, walked into this church this morning and we're wrestling with a sin, we're wrestling with a struggle, we're wrestling with something that we are ashamed of. And even as Christians, we're thinking, man, it is impossible, it, it has to be, it's impossible for me to really be free from, from porn or from anger or selfishness or greed or overeating or bitterness or laziness or sexual sin or our past. And we're walking around in this bondage of sin. Of, of feeling like, man, the, the, it's impossible for me to step out and to, to experience freedom. But I believe that's because we're still living as the king of our own life. We, we, we like the idea, we believe that we can lay it at Jesus' feet and he is our savior, but we don't live with him as our Lord and we still try to live our lives as like this dual, dual government over our life. And I, I was thinking about this and I ha there's this stupid illustration, but I'm going to share it anyways because it kind of works. But when you elect a president, when a president is elected, what he does is he comes in and he establishes a whole new cabinet, a whole new group of advisors and people to come alongside him and support him. And, and in our life, when we are living as the king of our own life, what really is happening is sin is on the throne of our life. Because separated from Jesus, we, we're sinners. And so when we say, I'm the king of my own life, really what we're saying is the sin over me, this is the king of my heart. And we sit here and we look and we struggle and we're dealing with something. Maybe, maybe it's anger. And we think, man, if I just get rid of this anger, if I, just, if I deal with this anger problem, then, then I'll really begin to experience freedom. And so we say, God, I'm going to give you my anger. Well, God, I'll just give you my anger. 
But the problem is, is when sin and when self is on the throne of our life, what happens is uh, he just establishes a new cabinet member. And maybe it's lust. And all of a sudden you're like, well, I, I'm not angry anymore, but now I'm dealing with this issue. And what we really actually need is we need a coup. We need a coup. We need a new, like we need a new king of our heart. We need a new person on the throne of our life. Because when we say, like, like it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus, when he gives us, he gives us his cabinet members. Listen to what his cabinet members are. His cabinet members are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and freedom. The impossible work, the impossible work that God wants to do in you is he wants us to walk in freedom. He wants us to walk in relationship with him. Some of you need to hear that this morning, that God, the God who created you, the God who knows you, the God who loves you, he wants to be in relationship with you. He knows what you've done, and he still wants to be in relationship with you. And he wants to give us more than we could possibly imagine as we make him the king of our life. John 10.10 says this, The thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. My purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. And we receive that when we surrender. When we say, Jesus, I want to act in obedience to you. Church, what is holding us back? What is that thing that's holding us back from fully surrendering? And we're saying, Jesus, I, I, I thank you for, for salvation. Thank you for taking care of my sins. But there's those things that are holding us back from fully experiencing God. What is that thing that we're holding on to? What is that area of obedience that God is calling us to that maybe we're just ignoring? Jesus is calling us to more than just keeping the commandments. Jesus wants more for us than just keeping the commandments. He's calling us to obedience. He's calling us to surrender. He's calling us to make him the king of our hearts. And it is then when we release, when we open up our hands, that's when he begins to transform and to bring us deeper into intimacy with him, closer into a relationship with him. When we say, Jesus, you're in charge, that is when faith comes alive. When we act on our faith, an act of faith that lives out and that moves and grows and changes. And it's there. That is where I want to be on an adventure with my creator. And it starts with surrender. And every day, it starts with surrender. I'm saying, Jesus, you get everything. All of me. We're going to do something just a little bit different this morning. Before we go into our worship time, we want to just take a, a moment to create space. We live in a chaotic world, a crazy world where we just go from one thing to the next and we have this and we're already thinking about what's going to happen next or am I going to make it home in time for the football game or, or we, we're thinking about where am I going to go to lunch and we don't always take time to just slow down and connect with our Creator. And so what I want to do is I just, just create this space. So the band's just going to play a little bit of music, and we're just going to go to our Father. We're going to go to our Creator and ask the question, God, like, search my heart. Point out anything, anything that is causing me to not have intimacy with you, to not grow in a relationship with you. What are those areas that God is calling you to surrender What is God calling? Where is God calling you to act in obedience? 
So we're gonna give you space to just connect with God. And if God brings something to your mind in this time of silence, in this time of reflection, I wanna challenge you to act in obedience. This week, whatever he's asking, big, small, whatever it is, just take that next step. And for many of us, that act of obedience is saying, Jesus, I want you to be the king of my heart. So go ahead and bow your heads and just go to your Father and say, God, reveal in me. Holy Spirit, would you reveal? You are welcome in this place. Would you reveal anything that is not of you in our hearts? Whatever that thing is, that thing that we're holding on to that is holding us back, would you be willing to lay it at the feet of Jesus? Scripture tells us that when we come before him, there's moments where we're going, uh, the things that we do on this earth will give us crowns. And ultimately what we're going to do is we're going to come and we're going to place those crowns at the feet of Jesus. So right now, in acts of obedience, in acts of stepping out and saying, I'm surrendering to Jesus, what we're actually doing is we're practicing for what we're going to do for eternity as we worship our King, the King of our hearts. And so as the Holy Spirit has brought those things to your mind, as he is bringing those things to your mind, as maybe this week as he brings those things to your mind, let's be a church that practices and acts in surrender, that comes in and lays it down. Think about the universal act of surrender is, is going to a knee, going down and surrendering. We're going to sing a song called The King of My Heart. And it talks about his goodness and how he is good and he will, he will never fail us. And let's let this be the anthem of our church. As we lay down and we say, Jesus, whatever it is, would you reveal it? And then would you allow me to act in obedience? And whatever you need to do here this morning, maybe, maybe it's taking a knee during worship. Maybe it's just reflecting. Maybe it's, it's writing down what God is, is speaking to you. Maybe it's going and saying on the ride home, telling your spouse and be like, this is what I feel like God is, is, is calling me to. Our faith is such a personal, we have a personal God who loves us, but our faith is not meant to be lived in private. But in community, that's what corporate worship is about. And so church, would you stand with me? Would you stand with me as we sing, King of my heart? And let, let's let this be the anthem. God, would you allow us 
Would you allow us to live with you as the king of our hearts? Would you be at the center of our lives? God, would we be a church that, that seeks you, that seeks your presence more than anything as the culture is shifting, as the things are going on in this world? May we be a church that seeks out you, that lives out the gospel, that preaches the gospel and seeks to live out not just you as savior, but you as Lord of our life, as the leader, as we surrender to you. Holy Spirit, would you do the work that only you can do? These words are just words if, if you're not moving. So Holy Spirit, move in our time of worship, God. May we, may we come and lay them down at your feet, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.